we are continuing this afternoon in our series in Matthew's Gospel, um, and we're continuing particularly in chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus defines his kingdom and describes the demands of his kingdom, beginning with the Beatitudes. So if you would, look with me in chapter 5, and let's read through the Beatitudes once again. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, by way of reminder, the beatitude comes from, the word beatitude comes from a Greek word that means blessing, which many define simply as as happy. But but blessed here in chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, goes much deeper than happy. This happiness is the only kind that is found in God's saving grace. To be counted as a citizen of God in God's kingdom is to be divinely happy. And that's what, that's what Matthew is recording here, that, that we can be divinely happy. We can be blessed, is what Jesus is saying to us, that we are blessed when we are poor in spirit. We are blessed when we are, are mourning. We are blessed when we are meek. There, there's a reason Jesus' sermon begins with the Beatitudes rather than imperatives. And that that is because the theology of the kingdom, what is true about God, must precede the imperatives, how we must respond to God, what we must do in, in response to our salvation. And the theme in theology of the Beatitudes is about the kingdom of God and how that kingdom has invaded the life of the unbeliever through transforming grace, through the grace of the gospel. And, when we can, and we can only live these beatitudes. It's only possible for us to follow these beatitudes because we have first been born again. You read these beatitudes and you think, that's just simply impossible. And as you go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you realize that, that it's just not attainable until God in His kindness and His mercy invades our lives. And the gospel becomes real to us because of the work of the Holy Spirit opening our eyes. The theme in theology of the Beatitudes is the kingdom of God. And in part three of these Beatitudes, Jesus describes what transforming grace looks like. And he began in 5.3 that we are poor in spirit, that, that we recognize our, our sinfulness and our, our need for salvation. And in, in 
Verse 4, those blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There is this, this recognition, and we are, we are having godly sorrow, and we are repenting of our sinfulness, and God in His, in His kindness comforts us. He comforts us through the saving work of Christ and the, the giving to us of His Holy Spirit. There's a guarantee that we belong to Him. There's a progression to these beatitudes. And, and we must be poor in spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and we must mourn for our sin, but we do find comfort in Him. And now we come to this third beatitude, which really challenges, it should challenge all of us. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Which continues to describe the blessing that we experience of life in God's kingdom. Not, not from a negative view where it is a bit negative, the first two. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We recognize our sin. Blessed are those who mourn. We, we mourn our, our sin. But now there's this, there's this positive, okay, here's what life is like. This is what, this is what salvation works in us. Blessed are the meek. It describes life in Christ's kingdom. It describes life in Christ's kingdom that, that has been a life that's been transformed. And, and in the first place we see this is blessed are the meek. And simply this, how we act towards God and how we act towards one another. That's what meekness is talking about. How we act towards God and how we act towards one another. Now, initially, this beatitude was troubling to many of the Jews. For centuries, the Jewish people, they had awaited a Messiah, the promised deliverer, who would deliver them from, from Roman oppression and who would establish a kingdom that would militarily just be ruling over all and, and so that they would never be conquered again and they would never live under someone else's dominion. That's what they were expecting in this Messiah. That's, what, that, that's the kind of rule they wanted. They wanted a conquering hero, not a humble, lowly carpenter who told them that the way to inherit the land, the land that once was there and now is under Roman oppression, the way to inherit the land is to be meek, is to be lowly, is to be humble, is to be gentle, and a, a synonym, the synonyms for meek would be lowly and humble, gentle, forbearing, patient. The Jews wanted their land back, and they wanted Roman oppression crushed. And that's not what Jesus is offering. They did not want a meek Messiah. And that's why it's not surprising why so many rejected Christ. They simply did not understand why he came. They, they lost sight of Isaiah's prophecy of Jesus being the suffering servant who was lowly and meek. So the question for us this morning is, what does it mean to be meek? I think we begin with, it's the antithesis, the opposite of pride. The very sin, pride, the very sin that brought humanity to ruin, a sin that, that grossly distorts every good thing God has created, and it damages every relationship we have ever had. It's a deadly sin, and it's a deadly sin that we all struggle with. William Ernst Henry, in his poem, Invictus, really defines what pride looks like. He says in his poem, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. 
And like Adam and Eve, our pride attempts us to say that and dethrone God. And in contrast, Jesus was the perfect example of what it means to be meek. He describes by his life what a meek heart is. And in Philippians 2, we see this perfect description of a meek Savior. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled meekly, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when, when Jesus tells his disciples about the blessing of meekness, he knows that it will cost them something as it cost him something, his life. But he also knows the joy that it will bring. Meekness simply in this beatitude tells us meekness should be a hallmark of every follower of Christ. It should be a part, it should be who we are as a follower of Christ. And this meekness will find its expression in two places. Meekness towards God and meekness towards one another. Now, to be meek towards God is to be, first of all, submissive to His will. However God works or whatever God allows in our lives, whatever circumstances come into our situation, whatever God does providentially in our lives, we submit to them because we believe God is good and what he does is for our good. So, so we submit to these circumstances. Not always easily, but, but that's what meekness is. We, we are meek towards God, that, that he knows better than I do. That, that if I was in control of this world, it would only be happy for about the one second that I liked being in control, and then the world would fall apart. As you would your world. No, no, we are, we are meek towards God. And to be meek towards God is simply, it's not to dispute His providence, the providential working in our lives, or resist His sovereign pathways that He lays out for us, a pathway that at times, I would not choose. But to be meek towards God is to be submissive towards Him. Thomas Watson said, Let God do what He will with me. Let Him carve out what conditions He pleases. I will submit. God sees what is best for me, whether a fertile or barren soil. That's what it means to be meek towards God. Jonah, in contrast, had an unmeek spirit when he declared in, in chapter 4, verse 9, he says, I do well to be angry to death. He was angry with God because God spared Nineveh and let his plant die. And so he said, listen, I'm so angry with God, I'm going to be angry to death. To the day I die, I'm going to be angry with God. That was a man who did not understand what it meant to be meek towards the Lord. The meek person trusts God's 
providences, whether these providences take them into the beauty of, of Solomon's temple or the dunghill of Job's experience and suffering or the prison of Joseph's persecution, a meek person trusts God. He trusts God's goodness. He trusts God's shepherding care. And he is neither fatalistic about it or passive, but he's active in trusting God. It's, it's not a case sarah, sarah, what will be, will be, but it's an attitude that is active in looking towards the Lord, submitting to Him. That is what it means to be meek towards God. Now, listen, I am, by nature, we are not, I am not naturally meek towards the Lord. And so, there are times when the Lord, in His wisdom and in His discipline, has to subdue and break my pride, our pride, under his gentle but firm hand so that we can become meek. He sends trials that reveal where our hearts are living. He sends trials to reveal the secret ambitions in our hearts that that really show us how self-reliant we are as opposed to submitted towards his providential working in our lives. And so he patiently helps us become meek. So to be and so to be meek towards God is to be submitted to his will, but it's also to be submitted to and to surrender to his word. That's where that's where meekness can can be revealed or can be shown not to be existing. The meek person is one who seeks to conform their mind through the Word of God to the will of God by not quarreling with the Word of God. Well, I I mean, I read it here, but but God, God doesn't understand my unique situation. Oh, no, no. He not only understands it, He created it. So we are, we are meek towards the Lord. We are meek towards the Lord in our submission to His will. We're meek towards the Lord in our surrender and submission to His Word. But secondly, blessed are the meek. Meekness towards others. We are meek towards one another, which in my experience personally can be a challenge at times. Imagine, I mean, on a, on a Sunday we are here, we're singing, we're praising God. Kindness of the Holy Spirit does a work in our hearts, just revealing some areas of sin, and we are confessing that sin to the Lord. We are broken before the Lord, even in the midst of singing, which ha- happened to me on, on numerous Sundays throughout my life. You're just, we're praising God, but we're also aware of how weak I am and how sinful I am, and, and, and God is doing business with me. And I accept it readily. But imagine someone else coming up to you after the meeting and recounting all those sins as well. It's not the same. I wouldn't respond the same way as I would be responding to God. It would reveal the lack of meekness in my heart. Listen, a meek or an unmeek heart is often most revealed with spouses and children and members of this church, other family members, neighbors, co-workers. Listen, a good way to test whether or not you are meek 
How easily are you offended? How easily does, do people offend you? A meek heart is not easily offended by others. It, it's more like wood that is saturated with, wa- with water, and when a match is put to it, it won't burn. But, but the person who, who struggles with being meek or is not meek, they, it's, like a, it's like a match to gasoline when somebody says something or does something that offends them, and they're easily offended. They're immediately offended, and they, they read into things that didn't even exist. That person walked right by me without saying hello. I can't believe she said that to me about my child. I can't believe they said that about my parenting. Why do I always have to be the one to initiate hospitality? I can't stand how opinionated that person is. Those words she said to me cut like a knife. That person let me down. He made a mistake that cost me something. easily offended are, are often offended by unintended offenses. Imagine somebody walking by you and not saying hello, and you, you immediately assume, ah, oh, they're just ignoring me, when in reality, maybe they have a relative who is suddenly in the hospital, or they've got a job situation or a family situation that's just captivating their thoughts, and, and they don't know anybody is around. But we, we can judge critically. We can judge quickly and immediately assume they're just ignoring me. And we're easily offended. That is not meekness. That's not meekness towards one another. Meekness towards one another means learning to, for those who do offend us, it, it's learning to bear their injuries, the injuries that they, they cause us. Because people do injure us with their words and their actions, but a meek heart is willing to bear those injuries and be patient with those folks. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense, to look past the offense. Rather than letting our heart get easily inflamed, we moderate our hearts and our passions with meekness. Paul tells us in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. Now that word rule literally means umpire, like umpire at a baseball game. Let the peace of Christ. He's not talking about the peace that surpasses all understanding. He's talking about the peace that moderates the passions in our heart where we don't get so easily offended and we are meek towards others and we are forgiving towards others and we are patient towards others. That, that's what it means when Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Meekness towards others also means we forgive their injuries. Rather than retaliate, a a meek soul, a meek person forgives. Listen, far, far more troubles in the church exist by people who easily take offense and, and are unforgiving. And oftentimes when there was no offense intended, no, no, the meek person forgives injuries. And the meek person does not 
return evil with evil, but with good. Matthew 5.44, just later on in this chapter, Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to them that hate you. So even to those who are purposefully trying to injure you, we are to love them and do good to them. And to those who just simply make a mistake, they say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Or they forget something which caused you a problem. Or they do something that really troubled you. Do we, do we overlook an offense? Are, are we meek? You think about our Savior, what He overlooked, what He died for. Meekness, meekness is, is an ornament should, that should adorn our lives. It's a, it's a true imitation of Christ who, who meekly endured hatred. He meekly endured ridicule and rejection and mocking, all the mocking of sinful humanity each day. And yet, because he was meek, he was not willing that any should perish. See, see how, how meekness plays out in the life of our Savior and how it should play out in our lives. How easily God could have crushed sinners and literally kicked them into hell, but the Lord is long-suffering and He's patient and He's abounding in love. He's slow to anger. And so not only does He forgive sins, but He also he cares for sinners. You think about this, the people that, that hated Jesus and mocked Him and, and, and rejected Him and reviled Him. And, and He responds by telling them, come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's, that's meekness. Because, he goes, because I am lowly. I am meek in heart. That, that's who Christ is. And that's who He desires that we become. Listen, grace has saved us, and that is what we are to give to others. That's what meekness does. Meekness gives grace. And when we are injured, when we are offended, we must not, we must not express, meekness does not express it. It, it moderates those passions. It does not gossip about those who hurt us. It does not slander those we may not like. It does not use sarcasm in a humorous way to really say what you're thinking. Sarcasm is, is just subtle retaliation. Meekness does not exact vengeance. Now, we're, we're smart. We've been well taught. We've been well taught by God's Word. We, we know how to live among one another. And we know that we're not going to exact a, a vengeance in a way that the world might, but we can be subtle about it. And oftentimes, the way we exact vengeance on somebody who's offended us is we distance ourselves from them. We kind of ignore them. We act as though they don't exist. We delete them. That's not meekness. When we are injured, when we are hurt, when we are forgotten, when we are slandered, we extend grace, not vengeance. That's what, 
That's what Jesus means by blessed are the meek. Now, he doesn't stop there, though. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's the blessing of being meek. Jesus began this beatitude with the word blessed, and he tells us what that blessing is. They shall inherit the earth. It's a statement that has broad, broad application. It speaks of both a a now and a not yet of the kingdom of God, a a now and not yet of God's promise, as we see in, in Psalm 37, which is the very psalm that Jesus is actually quoting from in Psalm 37, Verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. You get that? He's quoting Psalm 37. It's a, it's a bit of a paraphrase, but it, it, is, it is clear. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. You see, in Psalm 37, the righteous they, they were struggling. They were struggling with seeing the wicked prosper. In their day, the wicked were prospering while they were suffering. But God tells them, listen, here's what's really true. As David, David writes this psalm, he's telling God's people what God is saying. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And then he goes on to describe what happens to the wicked. That the wicked will face judgment soon enough just as the righteous will face God's blessing soon enough. Yeah, the wicked man, in a sense, in our day and age and in their day and age, the wicked man, in a sense, does rule the earth for now. But not as the fruit of God's favor. No, even now, even now in this world, at this time, in this pandemic, in this political climate, in, the, in all that we experience, even now the saint, the saint of God, the Christian, the follower of Christ, can enjoy living on this earth and in a sense experience his inheritance on this earth, even though it's a harsh place because Christ is in it. And his peace is with us. If you remember in, in John 14, Jesus said, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. And in 37.10, the psalmist says, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. He will not be there. Augustine, Augustine said this, he said, wicked men may delight themselves in the abundance of cattle and riches, but the meek man delights himself in the abundance of peace. What he has, he possesses with inward serenity and quietness. And in Mark, in Mark 10, 30, Jesus wonderfully reminds us what, what we have in this life as well. This is what he says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. So there is this now and, and not quite yet. And that not quite yet is the wonderful promise of 1 Peter 
One, and, and the, what we've studied and you have heard me repeat again and again and again, but I will repeat it one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is what God is doing. That is what it means to inherit the land both now and in the future. And that is what God has kindly promised us. It all awaits us in Christ. It is a heavenly inheritance purchased by Jesus on the cross. He's provided it. He, ha- he will guard it. He will reward us with it. And we will enjoy it for all eternity. Amen. Brothers and sisters, blessed, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, what is our application? It's simply this. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 helps us to bring application to this verse. Paul writes, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Let us be meek. Let let Grace Church build on the foundation of meekness.